0: Welcome back to the YouBlockity podcast with me, Don Birch. This is the podcast where we get to speak to thought leaders from across the industry to help figure out this wonderful world of blockchain and how it's going to have a positive impact on many industries. And I'm delighted this week on the podcast to be joined by Brian Anderton. Now, Brian is officially the operations director for Transbridge Freight, but as I'm sure we'll find out, does a whole load more than just direct operations. Brian, welcome to the YouBlockity podcast. Hi, Don. How you doing? You're right. Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Excellent. Thank well, listen. Appreciate you giving up the time because I'm sure in the role that you do, time is precious. But tell us a little bit about you. How did you end up at Transbridge? What was your What was your route, if you like, into the role that you do now?
1: Uh, well, I guess um, I've I've essentially grown up with uh, with with trucks and vehicles and and the transport industry um, right from a very early age of of kind of being a a, a truck wash. Saturday lad uh, with a local family business my aspiration was to always kind of be uh, an international truck driver much to my father's dismay back <laughs> back in the uh, back in the 80s once I came to that age where that was the direction I was heading I decided that life on the road wasn't for me and I secured a job with a company that specialized in moving freight to Ireland I spent a Predominantly, my first couple of years in that role was uh, I was an export clerk to the Republic of Ireland. Uh, At the time, there were still borders in place uh, pre the Common Market. So I was an export clerk dealing with um, exports and imports from GB into Ireland and vice versa. Um, Then I got an opportunity to join two of the other guys that I worked with at that company to set up Transbridge Freight Services and to go along in a more sort of general operational role so effectively um, controlling vehicles, drivers, uh, freight into Ireland, so on and so forth. And 30 years later, uh, here we are, you know, we've evolved into um, one of the leading groupage operators from the UK into Ireland, primarily uh, notorious for service, I-, I like to think, with our peers. And my responsibilities continue to be uh, the day-to-day operation of the business, but I also have responsibilities in terms of uh, the future direction of the business, sales, and kind of, you know, all the other things that, that that spin around the day-to-day operation of a transport business. Still focused on Ireland, very much so, and, you know, in our way through uh, the kind of current climate where we see ourselves today.
0: And I guess over those years, you know, too many to mention, but how have things changed? Because I guess you've gone from what would have been very much telephone-based, paper-based systems, you know, ringing people up, getting people onto the right ferries and getting them in and out and across borders. How's that changed over the the years? And I guess over the last, you know, six, 12 months has started to really rapidly change.
1: Embarrassingly, I remember the days when transport organisations communicated by by telex. Um, And then the revolutionary fax machine came along. And, you know, it's kind of evolved from there. I mean, you know, if you mention a fax machine to probably our younger team members at the moment, they'd look at you as if you were a roadshow. So, yeah, technology... um, is a massive massive uh, part of our business and, and any transport business I guess these days moving on from the fax machine you know we saw the opportunity of the internet and, and web access for customers probably you know 15 16 years ago when you know we were trying to keep pace with a lot of the big carriers the parcel carriers especially where customer accessibility to portals and online information PODs and that kind of thing was becoming uh, really, really important to blue chip companies, especially. We're very, very focused on technology. You know, we have our own internal development team, which allows us to be very flexible and to meet you know, kind of a plethora of customer demands um, very, very quickly and efficiently.
0: And actually having that in-house resource is really key, isn't it? Because you need to be sort of tailored in, in one aspect, but also I guess there's a lot of trial and error, isn't there, and kind of going, can we hack this? Can we make this work? You know, there's got to be a better way.
1: When we look to kind of off-the-shelf, in-the-box packages, whilst they're very good at being kind of a, a broad solution, they don't allow you to be very customer-specific. So we you know, we have a very broad range of, of, of Market sectors that we deal in, uh, pharmaceuticals being our kind of key market, and they kind of demand a lot more detailed information, quicker information than sort of your average parcel carrier. So yeah, being able to adapt um, to what a customer wants, uh, and 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 that can range from customer to customer, gives us a great advantage.
0: Now let's talk about pharmaceuticals then, because I guess moving, particularly in a pandemic, right, getting medicines into the right place, and then. Obviously, the complications now with Brexit and there were worries, weren't there, you know, when Brexit first came in that we were going to have this problem of, you know, medicines getting backwards and forwards from France or whatever it was. That Just talk to me about that sector then, because that is a specialist sector, but it's obviously an absolutely like essential part of society, making sure that people are well. What is it that you have to do on behalf of those companies in order to get the things they need across borders in the right way and not for them to be stuck and all the rest of it?
1: Pharmaceuticals um, is a big area of focus for us. We we evolved as a business um, moving away from traditional kind of manufacturing industries and, and, and textiles and things like that, um, and we managed to get a foothold in the pharma market. It's very sort of intense, it's very demanding um, for obvious reasons, and, and you know we had to step up our quality and our technology to kind of keep pace with the expectations of not only the not only the client but also the regulatory authorities predominantly the MHRA in the UK and um, COVID initially was kind of a difficult challenge for us because we didn't really see a massive dip in volume for obvious reasons you know we, we were we were moving pharmaceuticals and pharmaceuticals needed to to continue to move even you know at the height of the pandemic and obviously PPE was a was a kind of massive massive demand on us so you know kind of throughout the pandemic we didn't see a lot of disruption to to our business apart from the obvious of, of you know kind of protecting staff it was kind of a perfect storm and um, COVID kind of came along a really bad time for us as we were starting to plan for uh, coming out of the EU moving pharmaceuticals is is very very regulated we we have to keep the products at a certain temperature, and that's not just vaccines. That that temperature requirement extends to anything that has a as a labelled uh, temperature condition. So, if you look on the back of a packet, which you would think has no kind of temperature sensitivity at all, uh, it clearly states that there's an upper limit of 25 degrees C. So, we we as a transport organisation have to maintain that throughout the supply chain. So, we can't have vehicles delayed at ports, um, you know, situations that arise as a result of Brexit. So we've been working very, very closely with the teams of, you know, the the trader support teams and our customs agents and various other sort of local politicians to try and move this this process of moving pharmaceuticals from GB into uh, predominantly Northern Ireland, also into the Republic of Ireland.
0: And I guess you've got, you know, within that, you've got direct hospital and pharmacy deliveries, theatre time critical deliveries, you know, things that have to be there at a certain time. How are you going about then things like temperature recording? Because I guess, you know, this is where things like telematic systems start to come into play, don't they? Where you're electronically capturing data and able to demonstrate and prove and verify that, yeah, the wagon was Chilled to the right temperature and that the product was moved on time and arrived on time. Just talk to me about how you're doing that now and how it's sort of moved beyond somebody with a clipboard just checking one in a hundred lorries.
1: When we move a consignment, we have to be able to, to validate and prove the temperature of that consignment right through from, from start to finish. We move the the products in, in control trailers um, with side access doors and um, obviously telematics is a key component for us. We're a, we have to be able to see that the doors are closed, that the temperature in the compartments are correct, that the vehicle is following the route that we, we intend it to. And, and we have a team of people that are watching that kind of you know twenty four hours right through right through the movement of the goods from GB into Ireland. Our validation of equipment is far more intense than probably you would expect to see, for example, in the food industry. So, before we commission any piece of equipment, we have to carry out an extensive uh, temperature mapping process, which gives us a very detailed picture of any hot spots in the vehicle, any cold spots in the vehicle, and, and that kind of determines where we place probes to monitor temperature. It's very, very intense um, for pharmaceuticals, as you will appreciate. Most pharmaceutical products have uh, some resistance to temperature, but really contained for when it arrives with the patient, not in the supply chain. So, you know, patient takes away a packet of paracetamol that's not to be kept over 25 degrees C, If it goes over 25 degrees C, it isn't going to kill them. But it's arrived at the point where they take ownership of it below 25 degrees C, and we're able to prove that.
0: And I guess, you know, you said a minute ago you've got people watching this 24-7, and I guess that belies a load of the tech that's sitting below it because you've got systems now, I guess, harvesting all these data points and storing them. And I guess that's where things like blockchain come into their own, you know, a way of capturing all of these different data points in a supply chain, or as, you know, someone put it to me in a in a podcast recently, in the supply network. Because the thing about supply chains is they aren't always that simple, are they?
1: When I say we're monitoring it 24-7, you know, we, we've obviously got a lot of sophisticated systems that are sending us uh, text messages and email alerts, if there's any Deviation on the temperature, or if there's any issue with the truck, where, where we see uh, the blockchain program as being sort of an additional layer of of, of security that we can bring all those components together: the, the the customs components, the temperature components, the security components, and you know, kind of have all that in one accessible platform. That's that's a real big sell for us to the to the pharmaceutical customers.
0: And once that gathered and once that's in place I guess it becomes a point of difference but also it will force others won't it to then join in and be part of the pack because the last thing you want to be is one of those organizations that says no no we don't bother with the blockchain no we can't verify it in that way so it's going to be a point of difference for you guys but also I guess will it become the industry norm in the years ahead?
1: Yeah I think it will you know the, the level of security is obviously way above what is currently out there in the market at the moment uh, as, as a standard and yeah, I think that um, with the changes that Brexit have brought about, the integrity of the supply chain is more important than it's ever been. You know, certainly where there are overlaps between the kind of GB regulations and the EU regulations, which is obviously a hot potato at the moment. I think that the integrity of the supply chain is going to be um, you know, essential to to give confidence to, you know, taking Northern Ireland as a, as, a, as a kind of unique market, to give confidence to the EU that medicines moving from GB into Northern Ireland can be traced from wholesale warehouses to to pharmacy or to hospital or to patient, and that's going to be really really key in in agreeing a way forward for the regulatory frameworks.
0: Now, in your role, you mentioned earlier you, you've got sort of one eye on future strategy and future development. I guess for the for the company. You know, without giving away any trade secrets, where do you see this heading like well, what 's going to change in the next six, twelve, eighteen months that you know what would your advice almost be to other people listening to the podcast who are in this sector and thinking. You know, shit. We need to get our skates on. What What are the things that are, are exciting you about what's coming around the corner?
1: The fact that we can that all this data um, that is currently sat in different portals and different platforms, we can the fact that we can potentially lock all that in into one one module uh, is of real big interest towards it as a as a strategy. And yeah, I think anybody else involved in the movement of sensitive goods, whether that be food or pharmaceuticals or high value electronics. You know, I think that the inclusion of, of customs and, and, and all the other actors that are in this kind of this supply chain, having access to the to the one package of data is, is going to be a real, real big sell.
0: And I guess that game changer is, is the bit that you talked about earlier, that kind of visualization of the data and being able to access it at the touch of a button. Also, I guess, helps you as you're flowing goods just spot where there's opportunity for efficiency or for changing the way of doing things to prevent, you know, something going wrong in the future or just to really optimise what you're already doing?
1: The transport industry is going through a really, really challenging time with, you know, kind of uh, severe lack of resource into the drivers and um equipment. And, you know, we, we need to be slicker and better at what we do. And, yeah, I think that uh, having this level of, of visibility of the supply chain would really kind of identify areas where we're not getting great productivity or where we can do things better.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, listen, Brian, I appreciate you giving up the time for doing the podcast. I'm sure in your role, you never quite take your eyes off the prize, do you? (laughs) Your phone's probably been beeping and buzzing in the last 20 minutes, but uh, it's been a real pleasure, real pleasure catching up with you on the T podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Dominic. Cheers. Thank you.